we say things like, maybe later, perhaps another time, or I'll see you tomorrow. But for some of us, there won't be a tomorrow. Listen as your worst nightmares come to life. These nightmares have become someone's reality. My name is Justin Crowley, and this is The Murder Project. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of The Murder Project. In this episode, we are going to be speaking about a case that is probably going to be our official first 10-0 case. The 10-0 cases are the ones that have details in them that are kind of unsettling to certain people, even more than what we've talked about in the past. Stuff that can kind of be a little unnerving. And so in this case, as we are going to consider it our 10-0, first 10-0 case, you need to be aware that there might be some things in here that are, in fact, disturbing. So we are going to be talking about the case of Kellyanne Bates and all of the things that this poor young girl endured while she was dating a man that was a complete monster. This is going to be a case where I think there's going to be a lot that we can learn from it. And that's mainly why uh, Mike and I wanted to cover this case. So we're going to go ahead and do that right now. So strap in, ladies and gentlemen, because episode 25 starts right now. Kellyanne Bates was born on May 18, 1978 in Hattersley, England, in the United Kingdom. And I hope I pronounced that right, Hattersley. And she was in a family that was very close with one another. Kelly had been described as being very confident, very independent, and very mature for her age. Now this is something that is going to play right into this case where we use that verbiage, very mature for their age. That could be any person. But I think in situations where younger people are victimized by older people, I think we hear that a lot. We hear that phrase, well, they were pretty mature for their age, and that's why they hung, hung out with older people. But one of the problems with that is if those older people are actual predators. And if they are, then you have a person that is very vulnerable to the situations that these older people put them in. And so I think that is something that we need to look at in this case. And this is something that we are most definitely going to talk about. At this time, the time that all of this takes place, this story kind of unfolds. Uh, Kellyanne Bates is 14 years old. She is in school. And if I had to take a guess, this would be the age where she would be about a freshman in high school. So she comes home one day and tells her parents that she has a boyfriend and that her boyfriend's name is Dave. And this isn't something that would be uncommon for someone in this age range. If you're allowing your children to start to date once they get into high school or around that age, however it can be, I'm not going to even try to say that that is too young or not old enough uh, or is the right age or whatever. Everybody has the right to parent their children in the way that they feel is best for them. 
But I think in this situation, we're going to see that that was a huge, huge mistake. But I also think it's important to point out that this isn't the exact scenario that most people find themselves in. This is like we have spoke about in a lot of our other episodes. This is the exception, not the rule. So we need to make sure and and know that. But also at the same time, I think you can definitely look into different ways to try to keep your children safe. And this is going to be one of those cases. And I'll explain why in just a second. So Kelly tells her parents that she is going that, that she is dating a man, a, a person named Dave. And the way that I understand they met each other is that Kelly would babysit for families in her neighborhood. And so while she was babysitting one particular family, she met this guy named Dave. Dave Smith is what we know him from at this point. And Dave becomes interested in Kelly and starts talking to her and, you know, kind of chatting her up. He walks her home uh, some nights whenever she babysits for this family. If it's dark, this is the point where Dave is kind of building trust with Kelly and they are kind of in the beginnings of what will become their relationship. Now, I know that when I started looking into this case, you would think to yourself that, oh, Dave Smith is a guy close to her age. You know, maybe he's, you know, 14 to 16 years old. But what comes out in the beginning of this is that Dave is actually 32 is what we learn about Dave in the beginning. So Dave Smith is 32 years old and Kelly Ann Bates is 14 year old, 14 years old. So we've already got our first red flag in the opening of this podcast. And so that is one of the issues that I think whenever I was kind of referring back to, you know, I'm not going to say when your child should or shouldn't date or what, what, what have you, but this is a huge age discrepancy. And I think that that is where kind of the trouble will begin for this whole entire thing. And trust me, it gets a whole lot worse. So Dave and Kelly start dating and, you know, they're kind of in the beginnings of this relationship and things are going well. It is important for me to point out that this is Kelly's first ever boyfriend. She has never dated anybody before this. So I think that is going to tie in a lot of this to that kind of first love and all the emotions that she is going to have towards Dave and this whole relationship. And it also ties into the fact of before this, she did not know what a dating relationship was. And then in this, this is all she knows as a dating relationship. So as they're dating, things are going well. Uh, she starts to sneak out of her house uh, during the night times and to go see Dave. And she does not return usually until the next morning. Sometimes it's stated that she would not return home for several days. And a lot could be said about this because as a parent, I know that I would not allow this, but this is not my child. So after Kelly started spending more time with Dave, he began, he began calling home, calling to her home, and he would check on her a lot from what I understand in the research. But 
Dave would call Kelly's mom and kind of speak to her about the activities that Kelly was involved in, saying that, you know, he wouldn't see her for a few days or she was kind of going and doing her own thing and not checking in with him. And so he probably knew that he wasn't checking in with her. And so in the beginning, Kelly's mom thought that Dave was probably a pretty responsible, pretty reliable person. And she felt like they had a connection because of that. And it put her a little more at ease that Kelly was dating Dave. But at this point, they had not even met Dave. So a couple weeks after this, and, and also before I go, I move on. This is sort of that trust building that Dave is going through with Kelly's parents right now. And that'll all kind of make sense more here in a minute. So a couple weeks after all this goes through, Kelly brought Dave home to meet her parents. And when Kelly's father first met Dave, he thought, boy, this guy looks just a little bit old, older than his daughter. And he did not expect this to be the, the case. He did not expect for when Dave walked through the door, he would see a grown man who was courting his daughter. And so he mentioned something to Kelly and what Kelly's dad said to Kelly was, quote, he's a bit older than you, Kelly. Are you sure this is what you want? End quote. And Kelly responded by saying, quote, I would have been with an older person anyway, end quote. And so, as I mentioned earlier, Kelly had grown up around people that were a little bit older than her. They said that she was mature for her age and she even played hockey with girls who were in college. So this is where we revert back to the she's mature for her age type scenario. Now she tells her parents at this time that Dave is 32 and this is kind of when the alarm bells go off for her mom, Kelly's mom. Kelly's mom is reported as saying, quote, as soon as I saw Smith, the hairs on the back of my neck went up. I tried everything that I could to get Kellyanne away from him, end quote. So Kelly's mom started asking around to see if anybody knew uh, anything about this Dave Smith, who was 32 years old. But unfortunately, no one knew anything about him. It was like he didn't exist. And the reason that would be is because he actually doesn't exist. That name and his age and everything is just a huge sham. It's a cover-up. Because Dave is going to turn out to be a huge mistake for Kelly. Now, her parents felt like they couldn't forbear her from seeing Dave because they wanted her to have some independence and confidence in herself and they did not want to get into her relationships. Later on, Dave would even admit that, oh, he wasn't 32, he was actually 48. And that would make him, at this time, one year older than Kelly's dad. But wait, there's a little bit more. Now, I'll go ahead and mention this in at this time, but Dave wasn't even his name. His name was James Patterson Smith, and he was indeed 48 years old. So now, 
we have a 48-year-old who's dating a 14-year-old. Or Dave's somewhere in the range of 48. You know, maybe 46, 48, because this relationship goes on for quite a few years. So over the next few months, at this point, Kelly's parents still know James as Dave. So I will refer to him as Dave. Over the next few months, Kelly continues to see Dave. And it is said that he was very charming and he gave her a lot of attention. And this is one of the things that probably made Kelly feel really comfortable around him. But this is also, now that we know his true age, this is part of his grooming process. Uh, He is trying to kind of wrap her up in this whirlwind romance and make her think that he is everything that she ever wanted in a partner. And this is part of the scam. And she doesn't realize this yet. And before she probably does realize it, even if she did, which is sad to say, but some people never realize that they are in relationships that are toxic because they just become part of that relationship and they think that is kind of just how it is. Or they feel like they are the ones that are doing things to kind of ruin the relationship Or they're in this state of manipulation that's so bad that they kind of can't see these terrible things that are going on right in front of them. But after being with Dave for a little over a year, she started staying with him over most weekends, which was from Friday until Sunday. I would assume that after she got out of school, she would go over to his house and then come home Sunday night or even possibly Monday morning. But he would call and check on her throughout the week uh, to see what she was doing, and this is kind of his, him kind of putting that control over her even more. So when she's at his house, he has complete control over her. When she's staying at her parents' house, he has limited control over her, and he has to call and check on her constantly. And Kelly feels that this is one of the things that shows that Dave truly loves her and that he cares about her. And that he is checking on her a lot because he really, truly loves her. At at this time, Kelly is 16 years old and she is, we're, we're going to see that that, the time that she is spending with Dave becomes more and more. And so it's creating further separation between her and her parents. And this is all part of that grooming process because what Dave has to do is he has to keep her in his quote-unquote good graces enough to get to the point where he can make that cut between Kelly and her parents. He needs to remove her from her parents to have total control over her because at this point he has somewhat limited control on her because she still technically lives with her parents. Around this time, she started dating Dave when she was 14 years old. Around this time, she's 16 years old, and she's spending more time with him. And her parents notice that when she comes home, she is not clean, like she hasn't bathed in a while. Her hair was always really dirty or greasy, unkept, and her clothes were always dirty. It says that her posture eroded and that her head was always pointed down, kind of chin to her chest. And this is where 
I believe that Dave is already starting to kind of control everything as far as her way of thinking goes. She still kind of has that that ability to go home if she wanted to, but I think at this point in time, Dave's Dave's in her head. He is in her like all up in her headspace trying to, you know, kind of manipulating everything that she does. And after this, Kelly's mom told her that, you know, she needed to come home more often. She needed to keep up her appearance and, you know, kind of be presentable and that she needed to follow the rules that were set by her parents. She didn't care about this Dave guy and all of his stuff and that she had rules to follow at her house and that she needed to let her parents know that she was okay and that, you know, she wasn't in any trouble or danger or anything. And basically kind of what she told Kelly was that the next time that you disobey the rules, you can just go. And this is going to be kind of one of those things where you think, golly, I wish this didn't happen because at this time, Kelly's, like I said, Kelly's 16 years old. And so most of us, if we think back to when we were 16 years old, we don't really think about things rationally. We don't think that there is a possibility that the decisions that we're making could be bad decisions. We usually kind of think at this point we're coming into our own, we're coming into ourselves, and we think that we know a lot more than we do. And in my opinion, the the best way of gaining knowledge is through experience. And unfortunately for Kelly, she doesn't really have any experience in this area. So she's going off what she thinks is best for her. And at 16 years old, she's not really making the right choices. And during this time, when her parents are telling her all this and telling her that she can leave, her parents are noticing that she already has injuries and bruises on her. Like uh, it states that at one point she came home and there was a bruise on the side of her face, one solid big bruise that was black. And Kelly claims that she was just jumped by some girls and her parents kind of, I guess, blow that off. But we've already got some of our indicators here. We've already got some of our telltale signs pointing that maybe something bad is going on. Because they also noticed that she has bruising fingertip, like finger mark bruisings around her neck. She has bite marks on her arm. And she says, you know, she's telling her parents that, oh, she fell or she tripped or she's been jumped. And this isn't, this isn't looking right for her parents. And Kelly's mom, thank goodness, and this is one of those things where where I think that she was trying to look out for her daughter in whatever way she could. But in my opinion, it's just not enough because Kelly's mom contacts the authorities and asks her what they can do. And they instructed her that they should make a doctor's appointment in Kelly's name and then go and explain what's happening at the doctor's clinic. And then if Kelly ever turns up there, then the doctor will kind of know what's going on and then they can handle that accordingly. Because at this point in time, I think the legal age of consent where Kelly lives at is 16 years old. So now something could have been done but wasn't at this 14 and 15 age range. And now she's jumping into the age range where she is of a consenting age. And so the grasp that her parents have on Kelly is slipping away. 
and it is going to completely slip away and they're not going to be able to keep a hold of her. Now Dave has complete and total control over her. She is, you know, her parents had told her mom had told her that if she doesn't like how things are going, she can just leave and she does it. And when this happens, Dave has complete control over her. It is said that she would send cards to her parents' house during probably birthdays or holidays, um, but they were not addressed to her house, her parents' house, in her writing, and the cards were usually not ever signed. And so she is not speaking to her family at all, and it would appear that Dave is sending cards to her parents' house, making it look like she is doing it, to keep up the front, in my opinion, that everything is okay and she is doing well, but she's not. She This this is kind of one of those telltale signs that her contact with the outside world is gone. And all she has contact with now is her brother tries, uh, Kelly's brother tries to go and check on Kelly to see if she is okay. But it is stated that every time that she goes over there, Dave says that she is not home. And this should be another red flag. I mean, we've got red flags all over this thing so far. But you don't know what you don't know. So it would be unfair for me to say that these people should have known. Because in my opinion, you should have known. But that might not be a fair statement. When there was some concern about... Kelly's welfare either from neighbors or what have you and they were asking about how she was or or things like that Dave would let her briefly be seen through an upstairs window and that was about it and this is going to get to the point where no one's really going to see Kelly anymore after this she's coming she's kind of going to be isolated in Dave's house and no one is going to be able to see her and this is all a part of all a part of his plan what he wants to do the grooming process he's not grooming a girlfriend an underage girl that he wants to have a consensual loving relationship with he's basically grooming someone that he wants to be his slave to whatever extent that might be and we are about to find out exactly what that is so on april 16th 1996 Dave who from this point on we will refer to him as James because everybody is about to kind of find out what this this unraveling is James Smith who went by Dave all all the pieces are going to start to fall apart and so everybody that knew Dave as Dave is going to find out here pretty soon that his name is not Dave that his name is James And as I mentioned earlier that this was his actual name, no one kind of knew what was going on until James, quote-unquote Dave, had to go to the police station and tell them a story. James went to the police station on April 16th, 1996, and said that Kelly had drowned in their bathtub. So all this is leading up to him grooming Kelly getting her to move out of her parents' house. And just a few years after all this started, Kelly is now dead. She's drowned in the bathtub. It stated that the police went to Kelly's house, and before they could even say anything, 
Kelly's mother said he killed her. And the police, you know, at this point, Kelly is 17 years old. So we're another year down the road. But the police, I believe, originally said that she had, they told her parents that she had drowned. The police allowed her parents to go and view her body to make sure that that was, in fact, Kelly. But what we're going to see is that Kelly did drown in the bathtub. But what led up to that is the most frightening, in my opinion. Because when the police found Kelly, they, they found her in the floor of the bathroom. Later on, a pathologist who examined the body would say that she did die from drowning. However, she had a lot more injuries to herself. And this is where it gets a little disturbing. So please bear with me. And if you don't like to hear the things that happened to Kelly, then you might want to fast forward a few minutes. So when the pathologist examined Kelly's body, he was able to determine that Kelly had been held as a prisoner in his home four weeks up to her death for, for several weeks. And that is kind of, in my opinion, just a best guesstimate as to what had happened in this time. I would consider her to probably be held quote unquote as a prisoner for uh, a year or years up to this point because it had already been stated that Kelly would not even get even be seen in public anymore. James, who has previously previously been known as Dave, uh, had started torturing her with various types of household items. Kelly had burns all over her body. Uh, he had used hot irons to burn her. He had boiled water and scalded her with that. It is said that he had tied her hair to a radiator, one of the heaters, the old style heaters in the houses. And when she wasn't tied to this radiator by her hair, she was tied with it using ropes or other things of that nature. So she had lig ligature marks all over her body. Um, she would be also tied to chairs. And this is how they believe that the ligature marks also got on her. Um, she also had ligature marks not only on her wrist, but on her neck. Um, he had broken her arm. She had both of her kneecaps crushed. And this would have put Kelly in a situation where she was completely reliant on James. I think that what he did was he made it to where she could do nothing on her own and she had to rely completely on him. I think there is other ways of doing this. But to me, this kind of speaks to the fact that maybe Kelly was considering leaving or as a precaution, he was taking the time James by that by he was taking the precautions to make sure that she could never leave no matter what she could not decide at some point that she was going to leave because he would tie her up and then he crushed her kneecaps so she couldn't even walk she could not leave if she wanted to and assuming that before her kneecaps were crushed she was probably tied to a chair or this radiator throughout the entire day and probably nights unless he needed to use her, quote-unquote, for anything. Now, it is also said that, and this is one of those things where I just, I can't, I can't imagine this, but 
It is also said that Kelly's eyes had been removed. And they stated that this happened no less than five days and not more than three weeks before her death. So whether you go by the five days or the three weeks, it doesn't matter. It means that even even if it's just days, Kelly was alive for days after James had removed her eyeballs from the socket. It doesn't go into depth as to what happened on that specific scenario, whether they were gouged out or plucked out. But from what I heard in some of my research or what I saw is that Dave or James had forcibly removed her eyeballs, possibly with his own fingers or with some sort of smaller tool. So Kelly had also been starved and from the time that I guess she left her parents to the time that she had been found, she had lost 44 pounds, uh, which is pretty significant for a young person. And she had not, at the time of her death, she had not had water for several days. So when the pathologist looked at all of the things that Kelly had gone through, he stated that uh, he had examined almost 600 victims of homicide, but he had never come across injuries so extensive. This gentleman's name was William Lawler. He was the pathologist in this case. And what he ended up putting in his report is that Kelly's injuries showed as followed. Scalding to her buttocks and left leg. This is where he would boil water and pour it on her. Burns on her thighs caused by the application of a hot iron. And this, in my opinion, may be a torture situation or he could be branding her as like a property type deal almost like you would brand cattle uh, which is it's ve that's very hard to think about but people will do things like that uh, one of the most common ways that that is done that I saw when I worked in law enforcement is this is when a controlling boyfriend or partner has the other person put a tattoo of their name forcibly on their body or some sort of identifying marker on their body that says hey, this person belongs to this person. Or they want that done because they say, hey, this this is mine. This is mine. It's not anybody else's. This is mine. So if you see this, you know it's mine. I've got some other information I'd like to share on that, but I'll do it uh, on the debris. Uh, Kelly also had a fractured arm. She had multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, and scissors. She had stab wounds inside her mouth. She had crush what they call crush injuries to both of her hands and this is probably where James would crush her hands with objects maybe mallets hammers uh, vices anything like that this also puts you in kind of a debilitating state where you can't really do things for yourself if these injuries would have been healed by the time that she died that would kind of indicate that this was something that happened in the beginning stages of her torture and Dave is basically escalating up to the point where he's tying her up he's smashing her kneecaps he's doing all of these terrible things but those could have been something that happened in the beginning but it would be hard to know that she had mutilation to her ears her nose her eyebrows mouth lips and also genitals so dave was purposely torturing very sensitive areas of her body with what i would assume is probably these knives forks and scissors and some of the wounds on her body were also caused by pruning shears 
So he was taking pieces of her flesh and clipping them with pruning shears. And this guy is a total monster. He is a he is the worst kind of individual that I can think of right now. As I mentioned earlier, she also had both of her eyes gouged out and she also had this poor girl. She also had stab wounds inside the empty sockets of her eyes. Where after this sorry bastard, after he removed her eyes, he had stabbed the insides of the sockets with something. And it had also said that she was partially scalped. Now, whenever I was thinking about how she might have been scalped, I kind of, the first thing I went back to is that this might have been whenever she was tied to the radiator with her hair. And if any point James ever turned the heater on for that radiator, she might have in a panic jerked away from that and ripped out large chunks of her hair. It is also possible that because this guy is such a monster that he did in fact scalp her. So when all this information is kind of brought out and we get to the point where the prosecutors for this case, for the, poli the police look at the case and they're like, okay, this, is def this girl definitely didn't just drown in the bathtub. So he is charged for her murder. James is charged for the murder of Kelly. And one of the prosecutors in the case, his name was Peter Oppenshaw, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. He said that, quote, it was as if he deliberately disfigured her, causing her the utmost pain, distress, and degradation. The injuries were not the result of one sudden eruption of violence. They must have been caused over a long period and were so extensive and, t and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the girl, end quote. Very accurate statement, because that is in fact what happened. This is not done because, oh, Kelly made him mad and he decided to lash out at her. This is something that was done over time deliberately and systematically, just like the prosecutor said. So police were able to kind of uncover some more information and they said that at the time of her death, what actually probably happened was is that Kelly was placed into the bathtub and she was knocked unconscious with the shower nozzle. And then James probably forced her head under water. After she expired, he probably pulled the body out of the bath and laid it on the floor. And this would be, in my opinion, an attempt to make it look like he did something, quote unquote, did something. Oh, I, yeah, I walked in the bathroom and... She had drowned and whoopsie daisy, accidents happened. Oh, we're just gonna, but this speaks to James's character because did he honestly feel like nobody was gonna notice that she had burns, cut marks all over her, all over her body, that she had been clipped with pruning shears all over her body, that both her eyes were missing? I mean, this is one of those things where James walks into the police station and says, Oh, hey, my girlfriend drowned. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, man, sorry, bro, bad, you know, bad things happen to good people. And then everybody just goes on about living their life. I mean, this guy was so disconnected from reality. It 
is scary. And what they would later say is that James had severe paranoid, a severe paranoid disorder with morbid jealousy and that he lived in a distorted reality. No crap. I think that's saying that a little too nicely. Later on, James in trial would say that he claimed Kelly put him through hell and would wind him up and that Kelly would taunt him about his dead mother and often hurt herself to make things look worse. Now, I don't know anybody out there that would do these sort of things to themselves. I don't know anybody out there that could gouge their own eyeballs out. And that and that James said that when when James was asked about all this, about the blinding, stabbing, all this, he said that Kelly uh, dared him to do it and that none of this stuff was his fault. So it didn't it it wasn't hard for people to see that when James comes up with this story about him and Kelly quote unquote going at it at the time of her death and this is something that I didn't mention previously before he called the police but when he talked to the police originally he said that him and Kelly were quote unquote going at it now, I've heard this described in two different ways. One of them might be in a sexual nature. The other one might be in a argumentative nature. But I believe it would probably be an argumentative nature and that, you know, things just, you know, things just happened. And Kelly ended up drowning because she provoked James in these ways that I mentioned earlier, which is all just horse crap. And I think we know that everybody knows that the jury knew that. Because the jury only took one hour to find James Patterson Smith guilty of Kellyanne Bates's murder. And that's kind of what we were all hoping for, I assume. Uh, he was sentenced to life in prison, which means that for where he lives at, that is life in prison. But he has to serve a minimum of 20 years. Because of when this case happened... James has already come up for parole, I believe, if not once, but several times. But luckily, he has not gotten out of jail. And I think one of the reasons for that is not only the severity of the murder that he took part in, but before he was sentenced to prison, it came out that James had, had a history of violence towards women. Because before he met Kelly... In 1982, he had groomed another girl, a 15-year-old girl named Wendy, and it came out in his trial because she testified against him that he once held her head underwater in the kitchen sink. And Wendy said that it frightened me, but you get to the point where you're too frightened to say anything. You just took it. That is a very sad reality for some women in these abusive situations. Another woman named Tina came forward and she said that she met James when she was 20 years old and she told the court that he used her as a human punching bag. She said that he would kick and punch her constantly even when she was pregnant with his own child. She said quote once I was having a bath and he got me by the throat and tried to push me under the water. Are you guys seeing the same things I'm seeing? Are we seeing how all of this is just an escalation to where these previous relationships all winded up ending with Kelly? 
that these women had gone through the same things that, that Kelly had gone through, but they all survived. And James put Kelly in a situation where he was doing the same things to Kelly that he was doing to these other women, but he wasn't going to let her get away. He was learning from his past mistakes with these other women. And for Kelly, that meant that when she entered this relationship, she was entering a relationship that was not only her first, but her last. And I think that that is extremely sad. So there are a multitude of things that I think that we are going to cover for this debrief episode, and it should get pretty interesting. But I think now that we kind of have the baseline about the things that happen to Kelly, um, I'm going to leave it there for this episode, and Mike and I will pick it up on the debrief next time. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I know it was really hard, and it was hard for me to do this one, but I think there's a lot of things that we, we can learn from this. And I think it's important to get this information out so that not only if women hear this type of or, or these types of incidences happening, they can recognize the things that are going on around them or maybe see things that are happening to them, although hopefully not this extreme, but pick up on patterns where these people in abusive situations and relationships kind of try to hold their their partners captive or kind of in prison and they put them through hell and they put them through these situations where they feel like they can't get out of and that's why we really wanted to kind of look into this and do this so i'm going to end it right there for now uh, i'll talk to you guys again on the debrief episode i can't wait to do that thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening i'll see you next time goodbye thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the murder project we appreciate everybody's support in this podcast, and we look forward to bringing you more episodes as we get to it. If anybody is looking for us on any social media platforms, you can find us on Facebook at The Murder Project. If you need to search for us, please type in facebook.com slash podcast TMP. If you're looking for us on Instagram, we're at The Murder Project. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, we're at The Murder Pod. Also, don't forget... Go to the platform that you're listening to this podcast on and hit that like button or hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and hit that five stars. We would appreciate it, and it does help us get past the algorithms for the podcast, and it helps us grow in popularity with each additional review and five-star punch. So please do that if you can. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys again on the next episode of The Murder Project. It'll be the debrief on this episode. We'll see you guys then. But before I go, please remember, head up, eyes up, and stay alive.